All right, we're going to pick up in 1 John 4, 2. Let me go back and I'll read uh, just a couple of verses to get us back into context. He's been clearly dealing with, in a number of ways and a number of examples, those who are the children of God as opposed to those who are the children of the devil uh, or Satan. And then he's gone back and he's actually beginning to show the characteristics of those who are the children of God. Uh, and he's going to do the same here. And as we keep this in context, we have to realize there is a major division going on within this congregation. Uh, and it really revolves around... It really revolves around the nature of Jesus, the type of body that Jesus had. Uh, and this was taught by the Docetists, which would have been an early, an early form of what we call the Gnostics. Gnostics meaning simply to know or the knowing ones. They thought they were so smart, so intelligent, uh, and they had a lot of unusual religious uh, beliefs, but specifically about the nature of Christ, uh, whether or not he was deity, um, so they had a number of issues. So, and this is what John has been referring back to a number of times. Uh, and so he really begins to focus in on that. So as we read this, remember, he is talking about an issue that's taking place there with false teachers. We've already talked about false teachers here in 1 John. Uh, we've already figured out how to determine who is a false teacher. He's not done giving tests, though, or the test of how to find out if one is a follower of God. Uh, let me go back and I'll start here in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 23. And this is His commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. And he that keepeth His commandment dwelleth in Him, and He in Him. And hereby we know that He abideth in us by the Spirit which He hath given us. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. All right, so this is, as we start on this, this is one of the ways that we know exactly who, Jesus, uh, who um, Paul is, sorry, John. Let's get back into the book of 1 John. This is how we know exactly who John is talking about based on his... He's already given us a bunch of information, but this passage right here gives us a ton of information about who is causing the issue there within this congregation. Okay, Who's this false prophet that you're talking about in the previous verse? What are these people, these false prophets teaching? Well, here he gives us information. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Now, this isn't a huge problem today. The majority of people who claim to be Christians believe that Jesus Christ was in the flesh. They don't, for the most part, question the reality of the body that he had. However, you may have some that question this part about Jesus Christ is of God. What's he doing? Well, we've already had a, we've already had a test on who were the followers of God as to who the followers were of Satan. We've already had a test as to how to know who was a follower of God as opposed to the followers of Satan. We've talked about loving your brethren. We've talked, he's, it's been tied back to the Word repeatedly. Now he's starting to give us another test, okay? The test by which these false teachers that he's referring to, or these false prophets, might be discerned and identified is indicated here as, specifically, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Now, the people he's talking about, these docetists, 
they did not believe that Jesus Christ had come in the flesh. Uh, they had a bunch of unusual beliefs. Now, if this is what allows one of us to know who, is, who has the Spirit of God, then we have to look at the negative side. This is the positive, right? They, they believe and confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh of God. Now you've got the contrary. Any man who denied that Jesus had come in the flesh was not of God. Is that pretty logical so far? If you say He came in the flesh and you believe that, and you believe, you believe He was the Messiah, He was the Son of God, literally uh, in human form, then you have the Spirit of God. But if you deny that, which is the, the antithesis basically, if you deny that, then you're not of God. That's simple logic right there. So clearly John is pointing out those who were Gnostics, as we would call them today, but more specifically, the Docetists. And the Docetists were really the, the earliest form of the Gnostics. This problem... Go ahead, Jerry. Yeah, they, they would have rejected that also. Right. Yeah, it, it would be, well, and I think I mentioned, I'm going to mention a couple of groups here that it would cause issues for even today. Yes, certainly it would, it would apply to the Jews. The Jews rejected that, that Jesus was the Messiah and come in the flesh. You also then had those who were Gnostics, well, the Docetists. They claimed to be Christians. They would have even intermingled. They, they believed they were Christians, so they would have intermingled within congregations and that would have led to a dispute within congregations when it started, when you began to talk about the nature of Jesus, his body, and so forth, because they didn't believe that he had a human body. Uh, they, they had a, quite a few unusual ideas. So that would have caused a tremendous difference in belief between the two groups, okay? This wasn't just a problem in the first century. Uh, you had, you literally had councils called, they, They'll say within the Catholic Church. Uh, but you had councils that were called to dispute some of these ideas. The Catholic Church was gathering together. You had some that were saying they were holding some of these docetist beliefs. Uh, they had councils for a number of things. Here's the sad part. Does anybody know how they settled these councils for the most part? Very good. They voted on it. Um, here's what's really sad. All right, so let's say this is the first century early church. You start to get into the second century. A lot of people start saying, well, the Catholic Church really was in existence in the third century. I don't actually buy into that. There was error had crept in already and a hierarchy system in place, but I don't, I don't personally, as I go back and study, you don't have the full force of the Catholic Church yet. Not really until you have the first pope, uh, being claimed there in the 600s. What you do have is, is for some, you, have them, you had a hierarchy system that was in place, which I clearly do not agree with, the hierarchy system in place. But here's the thing, in the 200s, and I'll grab Jerry, in the 200s up until the 300s, 400s, many of these church fathers, they rejected that. They flat out rejected the new hierarchy system. They rejected the idea of bishops being over congregations, multiple congregations, they rejected the false teachings of things like this. And so did you have people in the second through the third, four centuries that had gone into this full era? You did, but I have a number of history books where I can read like 
For example, they call him Pope Gregory, but he wasn't Pope. He was just Gregory who was a, a, um, a bishop of, over a congregation. He flat out rejected all of this stuff. So yeah, there was a lot of error, but you still had faithful Christians in the second, third, and fourth centuries, but they were very minute compared to the Catholic Church. Yeah, so I had a conversation today with an individual at uh, work, and I was complaining about the common viewpoint of churches today. And I began to talk about hierarchy systems uh, and how I was very upset about some of the things that I've seen take place, not only within denominational groups, but even some things I pointed out. I said, it's not just the, these denominational groups. I said, I have seen issues within the churches of Christ, I wasn't going to leave myself out, and I began to say, I don't agree with this, I don't agree with that. And then I pointed out, and John's going to love this, I pointed out Valley Family, and guess what? The person I was talking to said they went there twice. And I said, I'm, do you still go there? And they said, no, I don't go there anymore. And I said, I'm curious why. And they said, all they care about is money, and they said they come off as frauds, and they don't come off as sincere, as sincere. and they went in and they hammered. And I'm going to tell you what, every time I talk to somebody who's ever gone to Valley Family, I hear nothing but negative stuff. It makes me so glad. Some people, I think, can see through some of the falsity stuff that we have going on around us. Not clear enough that they've found their way to the church, but they can see that, right? So you had the people in the first century that could see through a lot of this stuff. You had faithful Christians, but for the most part, they were easily becoming outnumbered. And as you get really towards uh, the 5th and 6th century, they're very limited uh, and most of the writings you have at that point really are people who would be considered part of the Catholic denominational group. John here is pointing out specifically these docetists. The docetists affirmed that Jesus Christ did not have a real or a natural body during his life on earth, but only a phantom body which could be seen. Now, why would these docetists, who really were an early form of the Gnostics, why would they have to take that stance? Why did he not have a real body? Flesh is sinful. Flesh is sinful. We have anybody that teaches that today? Every Calvinist believes that. There's no Calvinist that does not believe that right there. Where do you think maybe John Calvin and some of these others uh, came up with these viewpoints? It, it's really a rebadged teaching, right? The, I, the body... Larry, you live in a body. You're just a rank, sinful person, right? It doesn't matter how good you want to do. You can't control your body, and so you're just inherently evil, and you're going to look at the things you shouldn't look at, and you're going to do the things that you shouldn't do, right? There's nothing you can do about that. Matter of fact, you're lucky we have God's grace because God's grace will cover that. Isn't that, isn't that what people teach today? That's not what the Bible teaches, but that's what people teach today. And, and this really is not a whole lot different Matter of fact, these same Gnostics, these same docetists who said that you have nothing but a rank body who does sin all the time, these are the same guys that carried it on, and you've got Paul addressing it there in Romans 6.1 where he said, shall we continue uh, to sin that grace may abound? They carried it so far, yeah, we're sinners, but every time we sin and God forgives us, it just shows how graceful He really is. So the more that I sin, the more grace that I get, and the more grace that I get, just the more that it magnifies God. 
Let that sink in for a minute. Is that, is that not the most messed up thing you've ever heard? That's what Paul was addressing, right? Should I continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, right? How could you even think that way? That's not even logical. And yet, that's the kind of stuff you have these people teaching. And I look at it and I think to myself, man, that's really messed up. But it's not any more messed up than all the stuff we have going on around us. In correct context, the test he's talking about here is, is to determine, I got a typo right there, is to determine who the docetists are and is not saying all who believe Jesus came in the flesh are of God. He is not saying here, this, is, this test is specific to the problem going on that he's addressing. He's talking about a problem with the docetists. So when he makes the statement that anybody who confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, he's not saying... If anybody believes that Jesus was the Messiah, they're of God. That's not what he's saying. Because if he was, let's take that to the extreme. If that's what he was saying, who would be, who would be of God today or faithful followers of, of God, followers of Christ? Everybody, right? What does that turn into? Universalism. They believe in God, yet they all differ on things like baptism, they differ on the Lord's Supper, the elements of the Lord's Supper, the day that you should have worship versus the days that anybody can worship and partake of the elements, uh, how to be saved, what the gospel actually entails as far as a, a method of salvation, marriage, divorce, and remarriage, fornication. You start naming them, right? So, yeah, they can all claim, if, if what he's saying is that general statement, they can all say that they believe in Jesus was the Son of God, but they can believe all these different things, yet they're all still going to heaven. That, that doesn't line up with, what, John 12, 48? That's exactly right. Listen to this. Well, you can't see it. I'll read it to you. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus came in the flesh, but... They deny that he was actually part of the Godhead, right? They believe he was a God. He was not the God, but he was a God. But they believe that Jesus came in the flesh, so are they of God? Matter of fact, I've mentioned this a number of times, they actually believe Jesus has already come back. 1914, right? I'm curious why every eye did not see. That's a really good question I'd like to ask. So just because someone claims that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is, he says, is of God. A lot of people claim that he came in the flesh, but they don't believe all the truth. They may believe some of it. Uh, it's either an all or nothing. You can't, you can't have half of it and, and think that the other half that you're all wrong on is going to be acceptable with God. Uh, we're all going to be judged according to the Word, right? So this is a specific test. People will use this passage out of context all the time. I, I believe Jesus Christ came in the flesh, and I'm of God. Well, let's cover all the other doctrines that are required in there, right? Notice verse 3. Make sure nobody's got a hand up. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. This was the opposite viewpoint that we've already kind of looked at in the last passage. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. We've already talked about Antichrist, right? Matter of fact, he says there are many Antichrists, people opposed to Christ. If somebody is saying that Jesus did not come in the flesh, they are not of God, and they are anti-Christ. They're opposed to Christ. 
They're not, they don't believe the truth regarding our Lord and Savior. Whereof ye have heard that it should come. Notice this, you've got people still waiting. The Antichrist is going to come. Notice what he says. And even now already is it, it is in the world. That spirit of opposition to Christ, these who are the Antichrists, and in context, these docetists who do not believe he came in the flesh, they fit the requirement of somebody who is Antichrist. They already exist. That's just one form. The Jews would be another form, right? They were opposed to Christ. They didn't believe that he was the Messiah. There's, there was many antichrists already at this time, and yet part of the premillennial doctrine, everybody's waiting for the antichrist, right? I thought it was Obama. Oh, I thought it was... Uh, every year there's a president, it, that's the new antichrist. Have you guys ever noticed that? Bill Clinton was the antichrist. Then it was Bush, he was the antichrist. Then it was Obama, he was the antichrist. It's a, they've always had the Pope in there. Uh, every... The, the Pope is Antichrist, but there's a whole bunch of other Antichrists, and it's been in existence since the very beginning. All right. None of them. If you go back and look, even at... Yeah, oh, of course. E even Jimmy Carter, who was, who was, uh, he was a big churchgoer. He was really uh, huge into the, uh, was it the uh, Anglo-Israelism, or the... The idea that Israel was the chosen... Billy uh, Carter was big into that. Jimmy Carter was huge into that. But here's the thing. What, what kind of faith was Jimmy Carter? He believed in faith-only salvation. He had all kinds of doctrinal error. He may have even been a fairly good moral person, uh, but he still falls into the position of Antichrist because he was posed to all kinds of doctrines regarding Christ. He didn't even know what the kingdom was. That's clear because he thought literally that Israel was the chosen nation of God. Well, Israel was replaced by the church there on the day of Pentecost, but Jimmy Carter didn't know that. So now I wouldn't walk around and just say, yeah, Jimmy Carter is the Antichrist. But he was, he was just like they had Antichrist. He was opposed to a number of doctrines regarding our Lord and Savior. So here we have a negative statement teaching the very same truth that we just saw there in verse 2, it was put positively in verse 2. Here we have the negative side of it. With the additional information that to refuse to confess both the deity and the humanity of Jesus is to manifest the spirit of Antichrist, right? So, he came in the flesh. That's one of the things that you've got right there, the humanity of Jesus and his deity, right? He has come in the flesh, and he was of God. He was, he was the Messiah. you got people today who believe Jesus lived in the flesh. You can read a lot of scholarly books, and they'll say, well, I believe there was a guy named Jesus because you, you hear about him in historical records. Uh, and you could go back and look at a number of first century historians, some of them even Jews, who actually call him um, the Christ. Uh, they talk about the wonderful works that he did. You've got people say, well, he was a man, but he wasn't actually the Messiah. He was just a man. Well, they're doing the same thing. Now, they, deny, they believe that he came in the flesh, but they deny that he was uh, deity. Let's go back to the Jehovah's Witnesses. This statement shows the Jehovah's Witness to be a false teacher and not of God. Whereas if you relied on one verse only, if you go back to the previous verse, if you just relied on that verse and you said whoever confesses, go back, 
Whoever confesses Jesus has come in the flesh is of God. Now, if you relied only on this verse, you didn't take the Bible as a whole, and you said, I wonder if the Jehovah's Witnesses are Christians. Well, if you relied only on verse 2, they believe Jesus came in the flesh, right? However, they do not believe that Jesus was deity. So they reject, they, they reject uh, him being part of the Godhead, but they do believe that he was here physically, right? They believe he was a prophet, and they have some really unusual beliefs too. But according to this, they're not of God. And we could go through and list a number of, how about Mormons? Most people who are, maybe people who are watching this who are not familiar with the churches of Christ or a lot of religious groups, most people that watch this, they don't have any problem with calling out error of the Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons, right? Jehovah's Witnesses believe Jesus came back in 1914. Go ahead, Jerry. I was going to bring up uh, John 1.14. Hey, go ahead and read it. Can you read my notes? You're already, you're like, I'm like, you're six slides ahead of me. Well, We're on the same track, though. That's a good thing. So the Word became flesh. Yeah. Anybody that denies anything in the Word is not afraid. Mm -mm. Well, that's what I was, and that's where I was going. People don't have a problem. If you say something about Jehovah's Witnesses, most people look at them as a what? A cult. A cult. You say anything about the Mormons, most people say they're a cult. Right? So they're extreme groups, so they don't mind if you say anything about that. Now, if I say, now wait a minute, the Baptists have a number of doctrinal error. Uh, they have the spirit of the Antichrist when they reject flat out uh, the method of salvation, including water baptism, which Christ, which Christ uh, commands, which Peter commands, which is mentioned all, all the time, is shown in every conversion account, and yet they flat out reject it. It is funny... What's his name? David Platt, the Baptist uh, president who came out and said, why have we been pushing off this sinner's prayer for 50 years and it's not even found in the Bible? And I about had a heart attack that a Baptist would say that at a convention. And guess what? He's right. right? What they've been teaching is not of Christ. It is a completely false doctrine. People have a heart attack, though, when you point out groups that are mainstream as opposed to those that are not. Westboro Baptist... They, guys, I, I, let me say this. So I have studied with Jehovah's Witnesses before, have always been very polite and good people. They've, there's been a few times they've gotten rattled and left, but always been good people. I lived next door to a Jehovah's Witness for quite a while. One of my best friends growing up was a Mormon. Very good, very good moral people, right? Yeah, maybe some of their doctrines are a little extreme, but always been very good people. For anybody who just heard Wendy mention the Westboro Baptist, the Westboro Baptist is the most extreme, hate-filled, disgusting religious group I've ever seen anywhere of all teachings ever. Has anybody ever actually read through their material? They call, uh, if you're mentally handicapped, they literally, they use profanity and say, you are, you are of Satan. I mean, it's, it is some of the most hateful stuff I have ever seen. Horrible, horrible stuff. I've never heard anything hateful like that. I differ in doctrine from a Jehovah's Witness and a Mormon, but I've never heard any type of language like you will find on their website. I mean, it's, it's just pure disgusting stuff. Uh, it's extreme beyond extreme. And here's what's sad. 
they're, they're very fundamental in many of their beliefs. And so what do they give the impression to the world about fundamental Christians, people who are very fundamental on certain doctrines? They give us an extreme ideology viewpoint, basically. People say, if you're fundamental, you're an extremist. I'm not an extremist. I don't know if any of you got the world may consider me an extremist, but I don't believe any of that hate-filled stuff. Um, a lot of things I don't think are acceptable in the world, but which the, which the Westboro Baptists also do not think are acceptable. But, but I do have to say they are the most, they're the most disgusting, hate-filled group I've ever seen of any religious group. I have never seen that kind of hate from any religious group uh, of all the denominational groups I've ever studied. And I've met people from virtually every denominational group that exists and have never seen that kind of hate. Uh, if, you've never, if you've never read their material, let me say this. Please don't go read it. I mean, it's just, it's just horrible. Uh, here he again, again, though, is calling out those that are denying Jesus came in the flesh and that he was of God. Go ahead, Larry. Well, they will. They will. Of course. Yeah, I mean, if they don't... Yeah, if they don't believe in the inspiration of the Bible, then what I am saying in many regards would, would call me to be, a, be prejudiced or biased or bigoted or... And in some countries now, that is illegal. It is illegal to, to preach or teach on certain things or they will charge you with a hate crime. Yeah, in certain parts, yeah. And if you think about it, um, I, mean, I was reading an article the other day about uh, supposedly the last house church. I don't know much about them, whether they were affiliated with a denominational group or just Christians that met together. I don't know. Uh, they went in and killed every one of them. Uh, they said that they sang hymns the night before, and they prayed, and they said they wouldn't deny his faith, according to the article I read from somebody who was over there. But he said none of them, none of them survived. How many today would even be willing to stay around and, and defend the faith? Probably not many. Well, and in some countries, they're pretty much outlawing homeschooling because they don't want to teach religious beliefs in the home. Oh, yeah. That's literally what they're saying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they want to be able to, uh, they want to, be able to teach whatever they want and uh, not have it questioned, right? If it's coming from a teacher uh, who's been educated, certainly it can't be wrong. Well, certainly it can. Go back and look at Common Core math. Uh, there's been a number of problems with coming out of our school systems. Uh, not just that. Um, don't even, we won't even go to a lot of the other things that are being taught today, which are very problematic. All of this started back in the 40s. I don't have time to go back and look at that. You can go back and read the manifestos that were signed by John Dewey and a number of those people who decided to infiltrate the school system and teach just, just some horrible stuff. Uh, and it's taken a long time for it to take effect, but it has finally, it's taken effect. John, though, dealing with the docetists. So imagine what's going on within this congregation. Let's try to place ourselves for just a second. You've got those that believe Jesus came in the flesh. He was the Son of God, that he lived a sinless life, and he died. Now you've got people in the same congregation, and they say, well, I, I don't actually believe Jesus. They actually don't believe that he died on the cross. Because think about this. Let's go back to the slide that we had. They said he had a spirit body during his ministry. If he had a spirit body and they put him on the cross, how do you kill a spirit, a spirit body? If Jesus didn't die on the cross, if he had a spirit body, according to the docetists here in the first century, 
What did Jesus not actually do for us? Guys, this is how far extreme this goes. Some people would say, this isn't a doctrinal issue. You think he had a physical body? I don't. Oh, no. That's what they try to do today. Let's keep, it, let's keep it real and say, okay, you don't believe he had a literal body. So when he hung on the cross, what did he not shed? Literal blood. What does it take for the forgiveness of sins, remission of sins? Literal blood. They're not just rejecting the fact that he had a, a physical body, and they're not just re rejecting the fact that he was deity. They are literally they are rejecting the fact that he was the Messiah who shed blood. The blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. You need a sinless Savior, right? But they reject that that ever happened. Do you see how something as simple as the type of body ex expands out into just numerous heresies? And they would say, it's not a big deal. You believe it was a physical body. I think it was a spiritual body. Oh, no, keep digging. Yeah, and they, they would say, you're misusing Scripture. I mean, that's how people are, right? I, I, I know. Same thing when I, people say about baptism. I read it, and they're like, no, that's not right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Now we have the completed word of God, and we can see what's in it and what's not, right? Yeah. So if we choose not to obey what's in it, then that's a problem. I mean, I can go back now and look at the Old Testament, and I can see, you know, we can go to Daniel and Zechariah and all these books. We can go to the book of Genesis, and we can see all the prophecies. And because we have the New Testament, we're like, oh, what? that's pointing to Christ, right? What the old saying is, is the... Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed, right? The Old Testament has concealed, but all those prophecies are pointing to the New Testament, whereas the New Testament is revealing all of the prophecies that were given in the Old Testament. And I oftentimes wonder, if I was a Jew, and ask yourself, if you were a Jew, would you have accepted that he was actually the Messiah? Or would you have been like the rest of your Jews and said, he's a blasphemer. He doesn't meet what we thought would happen for a Messiah when he comes, right? I honestly don't know which one I would have fallen into. I don't know. I might have rejected him. Go ahead, John. Well, I, I know, and some thought it was sleight of hand, but I'm like you. If I saw the works, you'd think I would believe it. I think the Jews were the early version of the Catholic Church as far as Christianity goes. All the man-made doctrines, and it just blinded people to the truth. Well, and I'm wondering if the Pharisees and their way of thinking, it was so strong, and to, to go against the grain, maybe that silenced all the people that were kind of waiting, looking forward to that. You know, you're going to think about like Nicodemus. Oh, I know. 
uh, yeah. John chapter three because he was concerned about what people might think. He came at night to see to talk to Jesus. Has anybody in here been watching? So I have to give the disclaimer. Has anybody in here watched at all the chosen? Let me say this before you. It is by far one of the best series I've seen on Jesus. However, there is there is plenty of doctrinal error. Uh, one of the things, matter of fact, in the last episode, um, they were talking about Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is actually hanging around with Matthew, and he's he is working up his sermon outline for the Sermon on the Mount. And you may be thinking that's not a big deal. What are they denying? Without even knowing they're doing it. Inspiration, exactly. If you take it to the extreme of what there's... Basically, he's working up his sermon outline. But here's one of the things I will say, and there's a lot of stuff I do love. The way they portray Nicodemus. Nicodemus, after he met with Jesus, Jesus basically had asked him if he would, if he would come and follow him. Um, let me say this. There's a lot of creative license in certain areas. Some stuff's pretty close. There's some creative license. But what I found interesting was Nicodemus left money for them before they left, and Nicodemus, they show around the corner crying. The reason I find it very interesting as I watch that is, as I read and, and think about who Nicodemus was and where he was struggling, I literally can see him going through that emotional, trying to figure out who Jesus is. He knew he was of God. He says that actually there in John 3, because nobody could do the works that he did unless he was. We know a lot about Nicodemus at the death of Christ. I wish I had a lot more information about how Nicodemus really battled with this. They portray that he is. Now, again, that's, they've got creative license there, and there's, that's why I say there's... Anytime you watch any of these, except for a few of the movies that do read... Has anybody watched any of the uh, movies that are verbatim from the King James? There is a few of them. I've got three or four of them at the house. They're excellent because they're verbatim. You start watching a lot of these, they have creative license. But I will say they do, it a, they do a very good job. Uh, and I haven't... Yeah, they do push a little bit of faith only in there, but it's not like they do still talk about baptism and things like that. Yeah, he. Yeah, you know when we talk about, um, I tell you in my upbringing, being a Catholic, we always talk about those who weren't faithful. We called them non-practicing Catholics. It's funny you bring up Herod. So Herod would have been a, basically a non-practicing Jew. Uh, remember we, you remember not too long ago us talking about the Samaritans, how they were forced under the Ma Maccabean realm to become Jews. Herod came out of that group. They, so they were forced into Judaism. It'd be the equivalent of forcing someone to become a Baptist or a Catholic or whatever. He was forced into that uh, tradition as when they came back and they basically forced them to become Jews. 
somewhat kind of half-breed, I think they pretty much called him, but um, he, was, he wasn't by any means a faithful Jew, but he knew enough of the Jewish faith. And that's, and that's why, I mean, he was, a number of times we realized he knew about prophecy, he knew about, so he knew about a lot of that, but he by no means was at all a faithful, a faithful Jew. But he had background. Uh, as you begin to read and, and talk about what John's dealing with here, I think most people skip right over this. Again, the problem is, is you've got two factions within a body, and some are saying he had an earthly body, and some are saying it's a spiritual body. And I can hear people today saying, that's not a, that's not a doctrinal uh, problem, right? Why can't we just dis agree to disagree on this? Well, we've already shown one of the things you're refusing is that he shed literal blood on the cross. And guys, it goes like that with any, any erroneous doctrine. Take the 80-70 doctrine. They said, the 80-70 guys around here say, hey, this, is not a, this isn't something, this isn't a salvation issue, right? You believe that Jesus is going to come back. We believe he already did in the form of the Roman government. So this isn't a salvation issue. There's just a difference on when the belief is he's going to come back or has come back. Well, no, you begin to go back and actually look at what they believe, and it is doctrinal issues. They deny all kinds of things. Uh, matter of fact, they have problems also with the, with the blood of Christ and the, the resurrection. They've got all kinds of problems, right? So they, people can say, oh, this isn't a doctrinal issue, but it is. How about music? It's not a doctrinal issue. Oh yeah. In order, in order to satisfy what God's requirement yeah. is. So it just it only makes sense and goes along with the fact that like, hey, Jesus physically died on the cross. Yeah. You know, and shed his physical blood, because like you brought up earlier in Hebrews, without without blood there's no remission. Without blood shed there's no remission of sins, there's no forgiveness of sins. Uh -huh. So it just kind of coincides. You see how there's there's that consistent flow from the old testament. It's type and anti-type right there. Right. Yeah. Physical blood, physical blood. Physical everything. Physical I mean, sacrifice. Whether it was money, whether it was crops, whether it was spices, whatever it was, it was something physical. Wave offering, all of it. And for, I guess if you want to call it, for, uh, for things that were, um, I don't know, there was a shedding of blood for certain things because the blood was more important as opposed to some sort of grain. Mm -hmm. That was less important. Yeah. So obviously, Christ dying on the cross and shedding his blood for to bring about our forgiveness of sins, that was obviously a higher price. You know, so but all was physical. It's also interesting as you go back and look at some of the sacrifices, how logical a lot of them were. If you go back to Leviticus, if you came into contact with dead body, the cleanliness, purification rules, all that stuff is it's very interesting. So if you go back to Leviticus. Go ahead, Larry. Say that again? Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. But it, but it took physical blood to take us into that spiritual kingdom, just as, just as John was saying. So this is the same. So right here, for example, Jehovah's Witnesses, they say that Jesus came in the flesh, but they deny he was the Godhead, right? Uh, they don't have correct, full understanding. Same problem we have with those who use John 3.16 to reject baptism. 
They refuse to use all the verses to come to a correct understanding of the topic at hand. I don't have my Bible opened up in front of me, but it's funny. They, go, they take you to John 3.16. They're like, look, John 3.16 right there. All you got to do is believe. Well, let's go back to John 3.3 3 and John 3-5. through 5. What's he talking about? Born again, water and the Spirit. Then you go down. They love to go to John 3.16, but if you go on down to John 3.22, which I don't have my Bible open, but pretty sure I'm right, what do you have in that verse? And the apostles were baptizing. That, John 3.16 is surrounded by baptism. Starts out telling Nicodemus about how to get into the kingdom, and then the next thing after this is all said and done, the next thing you read about is the apostles who are out baptizing. They're in verse 22. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not just a change of acknowledgement of something. No. no. When it means change, it means like, yes, you have to change your thinking. You have to, the whole idea behind repentance is not just a change of mind. It's like that change of mind brings about a change of action, change of thought, change of feeling. Um, and so you can't walk away from John chapter 3 thinking this is a strictly an acknowledgement that, that, yes, Jesus came from God. It's well beyond that. It's, this, is an overall, this is an overhaul of your life. It's fruit of repentance being played out right there by the willingness to believe and do what he says to do. Sorry, go ahead. If you will, I will. <laughs> Always. Old Testament. He would tell the Jews, if you will, I will. Right? If you'll do this, I'll bless you as a nation. Over and over again. It's a condition. It's a conditional. Yeah. You know, there was always, there was, there's always been a, a faith and an action. They've always been combined. They've never been separated. Mm -mm. But faith only today, they reject that outright. Any conditional, any conditional requirement, they flat out reject. I had someone even was even saying that the other, maybe it was you that were talking the other day about someone said, well, what if? No, it was Larry talking about. Well, you, you're telling me if someone died on the way to the baptismal that they wouldn't go to heaven. I'd spin that right around to him and say, well, you believe in faith only. What if the guy was just about to believe, but he had a heart attack the split second before he believed? Would he still go to heaven? If you truly believe in faith only salvation, he didn't have faith yet. He didn't say the sinner's prayer. Then they, I bet they would say, but well, God knows his heart, right? <laughs> I'd like to have a verse for that. Well, we're already out of time, guys. We covered one verse. Oh, no, we did get two verses. We, yeah, we got, we got two verses today. Man, we, were, we got a lot done. All right, we're going to pick up. We didn't even finish. <laughs> I, have a continued, I have a continued one, so I'll run through it real quick before we quit. We're almost done. I'll just, I'll just skim it. All fall, so we're talking about the docetists here, right? But they have the spirit of Antichrist. So all false teachers, because they're talking about false prophets... All false teachers, including those in the world today, are of the Antichrist, right? And that's exactly what John is saying. Those who are opposed to Christ, those who reject, one, that he was here in person, two, that he was of the Godhead, uh, they are of the Antichrist. Well, that would go for anything that opposes uh, Christ, Christ's teaching, or the truth about Christ. They are of the Antichrist in that they are opposed to the teaching of Christ, His church, and His people, and though they believe they are, of, they are of Him, 
they have in reality aligned themselves against him. And I'm sure that the Baptists would say, I haven't aligned myself against God. You flat out reject the gospel plan of salvation found in the scriptures. You teach the sinner's prayer. You teach water baptism for the remission of sins is not necessary. I could go on and on. You're no different than the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons who flat out have aligned themselves against him by aligning yourselves against his doctrine. I, I can't, you can't make it any clearer than that. The fact that one teaches much that is true does not justify their claim of being of the Lord because the error which they teach and the opposition which they exhibit, exhibit to the truth of the Scriptures establish their true spirit, the spirit of the Antichrist, which is exactly what I said above. You can't think just because you teach some of the truth that you're then okay for the sum of the error that you teach, but many would. And again, they would say things like, well, this isn't a doctrinal issue, right? This is, this is a matter of... It's a matter of personal belief, right? Living on earth in a physical uh, paradise, that's not, a matter of, that's not a matter of salvation issue or anything that we should, we should argue about. Uh, yeah, it is. It's a big, the earth's going to be burned up, so for you to begin teaching, we're going to live here on this planet. There's serious doctrinal problems. Finally, with this understanding, we do not promote... I saw this come up yesterday. I'm going to tell you what. I'm not going to say the guy's name. I was so glad somebody called this guy out on Facebook this week. Anybody see who, who I'm talking about? Got called out by another. He got called out by a minister who knows his scripture really well. Called him out and basically for who he was. And it's funny. He was quiet as a church mouse. Didn't say a word. And he was promoting. He was promoting. Some number of issues and causing division. But with that being said, and this is the same guy I've had issues with before, with this understanding, the understanding of it's not okay to teach partial truths, we do not promote people like Francis Chan. I actually saw somebody, a, different, a totally different guy got called out for this a couple of weeks ago, and I was thrilled. As a matter of fact, I hit the old like button. Somebody was saying, why are you quoting this guy? He's a false teacher. Uh, we don't quote people like Francis Chan. Anybody know who Andy Stanley is? Andy Stanley believes... Huh? Yeah, and he, he actually teaches some stuff. Charles Stanley, they taught some stuff that actually I agree with 100%, but guess what? I agree with a couple of things the Mormons teach and a couple of things that Jehovah's Witnesses teach and some things that the Baptists teach, but they all teach error. He's one of those that teaches some stuff that is flat-out error. Right? So I'm not going to quote from Francis Chan or Andy Stanley. Joel Olstein, I don't even know why I put his name up there. He doesn't even have anything worth quoting. Uh, other than he does sell $40 CDs and tells you how you can become rich by, well, he lies. Charles Spurgeon. I saw a member of the church quote Charles Spurgeon the other day. Anybody know who Charles Spurgeon is? He is. What, what did he believe? Anybody know what his background was? Die Hard Baptist. And I saw a member of the Church of Christ quoting Charles Spurgeon. Are you trying to send faithful Christians to read the works of Charles Spurgeon? He's a diehard Calvinist. He didn't believe in any of the stuff that we believe in. All right. Partially correct is still partially wrong. It's not okay to be partially wrong. It, people are wrong, uh, and sometimes they're very sincere in being wrong, but it's not okay to be partially wrong. There are consequences for that, right? All right, I'm going to hand this over. We went an extra couple minutes to cover that last slide. So I'll hand it over to Brother Joe. I think Joe's got it.